Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we do give you thanks that you have prepared a place for each and every one of us in this community, that you've loved us with an empowering love, a gifted love that enables us to serve and to give with purpose and integrity and meaning in our lives. We pray now your blessing on this time of preaching as well, that we might not only grow closer to you, but find greater strength and faith to reach out to others in your name. Lord, bless us here as we seek to honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Very early in John Wesley's life, he sensed uh, a calling to ministry. His father was a minister, and like many, he followed in his father's footsteps. And for John Wesley, growing up in England in the early 18th century, uh, answering that call meant receiving an education at Oxford University. John Wesley attended Oxford University, and it was there that he encountered some like-minded students. And the ways in which they connected, the topics that they discussed and over which they found common ground, often had to do with their experiences in the church of their youth. Here they were studying for the priesthood in the Church of England, and they began to make some observations as they dug more deeply into the substance of their studies. They began to notice things like, gee, when we encounter Jesus in the Gospels, and when we read of of Paul's breathtaking ministry, we're we're, we're overwhelmed by this sense of power and purpose and, and lives being changed. And then we show up at our churches on Sunday morning and... Maybe not so empowering and maybe not so life-giving. And we don't see a lot of changed lives taking place in our midst. And that's one of the, uh, what what, what happened at that moment, I think, speaks uh, to something of John Wesley, the man that we recognize as as the founder of Methodism. Because even at that point, he'd reached a place that many students in seminary to this day reach. They come together and they think, wow, there's power and there's purpose and there's lives being changed in the gospel. And it seems to be disconnected from uh, my experience in the church. And many people at that point choose to go the route of just running down everyone they've ever known in their lives. These pastors are awful. These lay people are horrible. No one cares. They choose to go that route. But John Wesley actually chose a different route, and I think a better route, and one for us to, to, to learn from today. He said, well, maybe, maybe, I, I, maybe, maybe I have a part to play in this. What would happen if I really dug down and dug deeply into the substance of the Gospels and, and, and my own personal quest to experience the love and the grace of Jesus Christ in my life? So John Wesley and his friends at Oxford, they began to do just that. They meet together and they, 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 they pray together and they, uh, they read the scripture together. They study history together. But they also do things like visit people in prison together and, and care for children in their community together. They really seek to live out this inward and outward focus of their faith. And some funny things start happening when they start doing this. Again, here they are surrounded by a whole group of people uh, who are answering the call to the priesthood of their church. But doing those things, trying to work on what's inside of me and express that in my outward care for others, others began to think that they were kind of nuts and a little bit zealous and a little bit crazy for the things that they were doing. 
Well, they begin to call John Wesley and his friends names. I love this. You've got these Oxford dons acting like first graders, right? Calling each other names for their foolishness. Do we know some of the names that they called them? And they're some of my favorite little things in church history. They called them the Holy Club, you know, because they're just so holy. They get together and they think holy thoughts and do holy things. It's John Wesley and his Holy Club. They called them the Bible Moths. I really like that one. John Wesley and his friends are like moths flocking to the light in the middle of a summer night, right? You open up the Bible and they just go to it like, like moths to the light. And because John Wesley and his friends were so deci- disciplined, so methodical, they called them Methodists. What a put down, right? But that's where the Methodist name comes from, right? It started as a put down, as something that uh, those outside of the group, uh, uh, a pejorative that they lobbed at John Wesley and his friends. Look at those Methodists actually caring about poor people and reading their Bibles. What a novel concept. Now, that was pretty early in John Wesley's life, and throughout his life, um, uh, there were developments and, and, and things built upon those experiences at Oxford. But I, I do think there were uh, some of the, the, the seeds of what we recognize as our Methodist tradition come from that very moment, particularly this idea that our faith calls for both inward transformation an outward work, outward change, outward service and love. We can think of that actually as love both inward and outward. The inward experience of God's love coming to a deeper understanding of God's love for us and finding in that experience the power to love others as we have been loved. It sounds so simple, right? But John Wesley rightly knew that it took work, it took effort. Just like you've ever been in a relationship where you've been able to step aside, step back a little bit and think, oh my gosh, I'm taking this wonderful person in my life for granted. I'm not invested in this in the way that I should be. That's kind of what John Wesley's wrestling with in his own understanding of God. We've been blessed so much and loved so deeply and cared for so powerfully. It calls for something. It calls for a a level of purposeful engagement. It calls for a method of discipline, a method of living out this call in our lives. You know, over the uh, in these weeks coming up before the general conference of 2019, that's going to be such a pivotal moment in the history of Methodism. I've chosen to to kind of dig into our roots in this all loves excelling sermon series, because you can kind of anticipate where some of the scripts are going to go that come out of general conference. One of the common scripts is going to be it's the liberals who have just chased away from the faith and left it all behind. Right. We're the ones who have screwed everything up. Conservatives are going to say to us. And I refuse to abide by that. I refuse to let anyone say that we've wandered away from our tradition, wandered away from our faith, wandered away from Jesus. Absolutely not. Because of that, though, I want to dig in. I want to dig into our faith. I want to dig into that experience of Jesus and his love for us. I want to dig into what it means to be Methodist and the the building blocks of of this tradition that's done so much good and uh, changed so many lives for the sake of God's kingdom. Today I lift up this basic building block of our tradition. The love that we experience from God calls for inward transformation and empowers us to outward service and love in the world. We find that in our gospel lesson today as well. It's Jesus's, uh, one of Jesus' early recorded sermons in his hometown synagogue. 
Uh, he, he has this experience where he shows up in the synagogue that he grew up in, in Nazareth. He reads from the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. He reads this powerful passage about the spirit of the Lord being upon him to, to proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's an iconic passage of scripture, one that, uh, that, that we cling to. Uh, that Jesus is one who, 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 who is among us to serve and to care and to love, especially those who have been told that they're unlovable, who have been told that there's no good news for them in this life. That's part of what's going on in that passage. But really, one of the most uh, important parts of that passage is how it's set up for us. The first words that we read in that scripture are that then Jesus filled with the power of the spirit. Then that then follows Jesus's time in the wilderness, that time after his baptism in which he goes off by himself in this retreat, this time of spiritual temptation and trial, this time in which he opens his life up only to God, seeking God's help, seeking God's presence in his life. It's no accident then that I think that after that experience of inward change and inward transformation and openness, that Jesus walks into the synagogue, takes that iconic passage of Isaiah and says, you've heard me read this today and it's been fulfilled in your midst because these things are true. The inward experience of God in our life calls for change. Yes, part of our story is the story of peace and reconciliation available to each one of us. There is nothing that you've done that you've been through that's ever been said about you that is more definitive of who you are than God's love for you. And that is a reason to be joyful. That is a reason to experience the depth of forgiveness that should blow your minds. Everything that you've done, none of it is more important. All the good, all the bad, none of it matters more than the fact that you are loved, that you are created in the very image of God. That is powerful stuff. It's so bedrock to our faith that we kind of lose sight of it sometimes. But it's there. It is truthful. And it's true about you and it's true about everyone that you encounter on the street as well. The co-workers that drive you crazy. The person who cut you off on the Bronx River. All these things are true, right? It is the outpouring of God's love in our life. And because we know it's true about us, because we claim it's true about ourselves, because we've heard that it's true about others, that obviously calls for a different way of relating and being in this world. It's the path of love. It's the way of love, the still more excellent way about which St. Paul spoke. We are loved by God. And that love propels us and compels us to loving service in this world. Now, I mentioned that Wesley's life would take him to many, many different places and many, many different chapters that would build on those early experiences at Oxford. And I want to lift up one more of them today because I think it's pivotal. It comes from the time in his life uh, after he had gone off to be a missionary. And if you don't know, John Wesley came to America one time. He came as a missionary uh, to Georgia. 
This is in the days before the United States. He comes to the colony of Georgia. He thinks he's figured out his life's ambition, his life's and goal. He's going to go off to North America and be a missionary. And he does that. And he's absolutely terrible at it. He's a terrible missionary, an absolute failure. Nobody liked him. Nobody listened to him. It was a mess. So he goes back to England kind of with this proverbial tail between his legs, wrestling with this sense of how is it that I could, I could, I could think I understood what God wanted me to do so clearly. And I could go off and risk my life and leave everyone I love behind to go to this far off place to serve God. And my life just falls apart and it's a mess and I've screwed up everything. It's in that spiritual crisis from that moment that that Wesley uh, reaches another pivotal moment in his life. Um, it's, it's known in Methodist circles as his Aldersgate experience, right? It's that famous, that famous line where, where he has this sense of God's love in his life. He says, I felt my heart strangely warmed, right? That, that phrase that, that, that we uh, quote from time to time. But really what happens in that moment is he makes the pivotal change that each and every one of us have to make. That sense of are we doing what we do because we feel like we have to earn love or are we doing what we do because we know that we are loved? Because you can do the exact same thing for different reasons and it makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? Are you doing what you do because you know that you are loved? Or are you doing what you do because you feel like you have to make someone or somebody else or even God love you? That's a big difference. John Wesley came to understand that all the things that he could do and wanted to do and would do in the church and in the world and the lives that he would change... He could do that because he was loved by God. That was foundational. That was bedrock. He didn't have to do great things to make God love him. He didn't have to change lives to make God love him more. He didn't have to start a global movement called Methodism to make God love him. Jesus was the proof that God already did all of that. And when we ground ourselves in that truth as well, when we ground ourselves in the truth that we are loved by God, that Jesus's life, death and resurrection are the proof of that, we find in that truth about us the ability and the grace and the gifts and the power to go out and love others in God's name. And when we do that, we will we won't only be a people of good news in our hearts but we will proclaim and live good news in the world. And that is why what we, we call what we do here each and every day, good news for all people. Thanks be to God for this good news today and always. Amen and amen.